This is Rotten or Righteous News, and today... He's on jail for trying to kill his sister. He's not on jail for being a liar. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous News Network, the only podcast that tells you the news that nobody needs to know. <laughs> Great opening. Yeah, you just. Uh, uh, I've got. Yeah, I probably should pretend like I'm an anchor again for five more seconds. You should. You should present it like Walter Cronkite would have. Today, all the news. This is my Dan Rather. Um, we have Zach Geiler and Scott Judge. It looks like another day for news. <laughs> it's not a terrible Dan. It's not a. It's not a terrible Dan. Rather, I feel like we need to start today's episode with hard-hitting, super important news, like news that, that needs to be spoken about. Okay. Our first story today comes from a, a publication that is known for their journalistic integrity, and that is Marie Claire, United Kingdom. Uh-huh. And our, our mm-hmm. first headline today comes from January 24th, 2022, by Maisie Bovingdon. Maisie Bovingdon. For when you really want people to know you're British, just by reading your name. Maisie Bovingdon. Bovingdon, son, son. Right. Maybe. Anyways, the first headline is, This is Kate Middleton's favorite salad and a must on your summer menu. Oh, boy. I mean, this... Is a news story, Scott, that I came across in the news app on my phone. Wow. In in British. It seems we have a slight obsession with the Royals meal plan and what they like to eat. Does it? Do we care? I think one of my favorite things I saw during the royal wedding a few years ago was somebody posted on their Facebook, I'm pretty sure we fought a war so we didn't have to care about this crap anymore. <laughs> well, it's hard to argue with him. I remember watching Princess Diana get married. Yeah, I remember watching Princess Diana get killed. Yep. She came full circle. Hey, there's a time to mourn and a time to not mourn. That's biblical. That's right. Um, That's right. <laughs> For her, it was a time to mourn and then a time to mourn. So far, we know. We know this, Scott. The Queen has banned certain royal foods, or just certain regular foods, not royal foods, from the royal kitchen. What is frequently on the royal menu? And she has a secret stash of sweet treats in her room. That's a real gross way to say that she's moved on from Prince Philip pretty uh, pretty well. <laughs> 
Secret stash of sweet treats in her room in case she gets peckish in the night and needs a midnight snack. But what is Kit... <laughs> story so stupid. But what does Kate Middleton enjoy tucking into? Exercise and nutrition experts at Barbend have claimed the Duchess of Cambridge loves nothing more than a refreshing watermelon salad, which is perfect for the warm summer months. Watermelon salad. I, I, I don't know. Do they give you a recipe? No, I don't know. I literally yeah. got as far as the, the headline. I was like, yep, that'll work. Uh, that'll work. Now, I'm forced to look up watermelon salad. A spokesman told Express, Kate favors organic foods for lunch and incorporates as many raw ingredients as possible. Watermelon salads are a staple of Kate's lunches. The watermelon salad may not sound like much, but it's packed with flavor and plenty of nutrients, as it's paired with avocado, onion, cucumber, and feta cheese. Excuse me, I need to go it vomit. Looks, it looks good. Does it? It I'm looks sorry. good, Think and I'm not an eating, avocado man. I'm not, a, I'm not a watermelon man, but can you imagine eating a watermelon next to some onion and an avocado? And a cucumber and some cheese on top. I'm sorry, you lost me at the cheese. I can't. You're not a feta man. Not a watermelon man. Not a feta man. Now look, I I eat some watermelon. There's only one thing you need on top of a watermelon to make it at least edible. Salt. And that's a little salt. Put a little salt on there. You got yourself a a nice midnight tasty treat like the queen has in her closet. The barbend expert continued. Include juicy pink watermelon mixed with avocado, onion, and cucumber and feta cheese. The perfect mix of sweet and savory. And I say, Mr. Barband Expert, I don't think you know what the word perfect means. <laughs> According to the Mealbox Company, Green Chef, the 40-year-old royal is not the only fan of this meal, as recipes have spiked 250%. It has not been confirmed exactly what dressing Kate serves with this meal, but some predict that it's a light dressing with apple cider vinegar or balsamic vinegar and even a, a sprinkly of leafy mint, although this area is left open for you to get creative. Oh, boy. Hey, Scott. See, did I, you know, I think a, a good balsamic would be good. Did you know that there's a war in Ukraine right now? I heard that. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, a war between Russia and Ukraine right now, but we can get creative and Im just imagine what Kate... Middleton, or whatever her stupid name is, puts on her watermelon salad. It appears the Duchess of Cambridge, who has sons, Prince George and Prince Louis, and daughter Princess Charlotte, with husband Prince William, has quite an exotic palate. As at a young age, she loved flavors of the Mediterranean. It's incredible that this rich white lady likes rich white people food. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Speaking previously during a visit to Great Ormond Street Hospital, one child, Raphael Chana, asked the Duchess or asked if Duchess Catherine likes olives, which can be like marmite to some, to which she replied, I used to eat lots and lots of olives when I was little as well. And the child said <laughs> Thanks for answering. I'm going to go back to my cancer treatments. Oh, wow. It has also been said 
It has also been said that the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge both love sushi, too. They're so wacky. They're just like us, Scott. Except they have made-up titles and don't really have to do much. On a visit to restaurant Japan House in London, okay, Prince William told Chef Akira, My wife and I love sushi. We might have to come down here for lunch when no one else is in. <laughs> How do you say that again? <laughs> nope, that's it. But that's the end of that story. Oh, now hold up, hold up. I, I have a watermelon salad recipe ingredients. Okay, so it's red onion for a sharp bite of flavor and crispy texture. Cucumber, feta cheese, avocado for extra creaminess, mint and basil. Which whoever wrote this said mint and watermelon is one of my favorite combos too. Serrano pepper for a little heat. If you like, these are optional. And a bright lime dressing to tie it all together. I hate, I hate life. <laughs> this world is going, just going away. Cucumber, uh, where do we go with this? Now listen, I don't want to do two really hard-hitting, important pieces in a row. <laughs> okay. Well, so, then, if the next one's important and hard-hitting, you got nothing to worry about. So I think we're going to go to an article from PC Mag that uh, came out again on July 24th, 2022. And the headline reads, A chess robot broke a kid's finger. Really? By Nathaniel Mott. And the child is being blamed for violating safety policies. I can't wow. wait to hear this. Breaking news, guys. Chess isn't typically a contact sport. You know what? If it were, I'd watch it. At the Moscow Open earlier this month, however, a robot broke a seven-year-old player's finger because he moved too suddenly for the robot's liking. <laughs> <laughs> That's great! <laughs> that is great. Oh, oh look, there's a video here. Just one second, Scott. I need to see what this is. Yep, there's a robot. He's playing chess with this kid. Oh, he just he just smashes a piece down right on this kid's figure. Oh, he has trapped the kid under the robot. There's so many adults around and none of them have been able to remove the robot from the child's finger yet. Still the child's finger is stuck. No, they're all freaking out. Okay, there's about 12 people now. Okay, the child's finger is free. The child is being hugged by a scary security guard and taken away. Okay, so there you go. The Guardian reports that a video of July 19th's incident, which the newspaper has republished, started to cir- circulate on Telegram before it was picked up by Russian media outlets. There are certain safety rules in the child apparently violated them. Russian Chess Foundation President Sergei Shmegin told Baza. I'm sorry, this dude That's is great. a this dude is a villain. Is an absolute villain. <laughs> we have a little kid whose figure was obliterated by a robot and there are certain <laughs> safety rules. And the child apparently violated them. 
When he made his move, <laughs> he did not realize he first had to win. This is extremely rare case. The first I can recall. I will break you. <laughs> I will break you. The Guardian oh. echoes the sentiment that a human is at fault when they're hurt by a robot. After noting that robots intended for industrial usage or performing medical procedures have killed hundreds of people since the first incident at a Ford production line in 1979. Why have I not heard about robot genocide that has been happening? You would think, yes, you would think. <laughs> Just stupefied right now. Generally, however, human error or lack of human understanding of robot processes is the most frequent cause, the Guardian says. It pays to be careful around robots even if there are only plain chess. Or in this particular instance, <laughs> only harming a child. That's an interesting... I, 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 Go ahead. You, you, you know what makes that story better? If the robot bot presses charges and the kid ends up doing time. I mean, it is Russia. If that would be the case, that would be one of the they've, greatest news stories of all time. They've put children in jail for less. You have broken oh. our chess-playing robot with your finger. <laughs> Pull the gulag with you. <laughs> Off with your head! It's an interesting response to a robot breaking a kid's finger because he was impatient? Even if there are policies against moving out of turn, it's troubling that there were no safeguards in place to prevent the robot from physically harming someone. And even more troubling, that the default response seems to be blaming the person injured by this chess-playing <laughs> robot. <laughs> and this was in Russia, right? Yeah. Wow. See, they don't care about any Ukrainians. <laughs> I don't think the child was Ukrainian. No, but what I'm saying is they don't care about Ukraine. They're laying the hammer down on their own kids. Hey, well, here's a... Uh, that's true. I mean... <laughs> your robot broke my kid's finger. Your kid's finger was in way of robot. <laughs> All right. Here's one from your neck of the woods. Ooh. From, from Artemis... West Virginia? Yep. From Artemis Moshtagian and Benjamin Schiller from CNN. A West Virginian woman woke up from a two-year coma and identified her brother as attacker who nearly killed her, police say. Okay. Wanda Palmer, 51, accused her brother of attacking her at her residence near Cottageville, West Virginia in June 2020. Holy, are you kidding me? That's like, that's like 40 minutes from me right now. Police said that Palmer was attacked, hacked, and left for dead. We leave it to the West Virginia police. Attacked, hacked, and shellacked. She was attacked, hacked, and laid on her back. According to a statement posted on Jackson County Sheriff Department's Facebook, 
Police say they found Palmer in an upright position on her couch with severe injuries caused by what appeared to be a hatchet or axe. Jackson County Sheriff Ross Mellinger told CNN that when people arrived, or when police arrived, not just people, but police people arrived, Official, official people, they thought she was dead, but realized soon after that she was alive and breathing shallowly. Police never recognized, or nope, that's not the word. Police never recovered the weapon, Mellinger said. One witness reported hearing, nope. Come on, Zach. <laughs> I can't read today. <laughs> One witness reported seeing Palmer's brother, Daniel, on her porch around midnight, the night before she was discovered, Mellinger said. Okay, we get it. Mellinger's talking. You don't have to write Mellinger said every five minutes. There were no phone records, surveillance footage, or witnesses outside of the Palmer's house, the sheriff said. Good night. Police investigated several people but could never file charges. A couple of weeks ago, Mellinger said his office got a call from Palmer's care facility saying she was able to speak to authorities. Daniel Palmer III, 55, was arrested Friday and charged with attempted murder and malicious wounding on Friday, according to the arrest records obtained by CNN. He was arraigned and assessed with a bond of $500,000, according to the sheriff, who said it is unclear how he pleaded. You're the sheriff? How is that? (laughs) How do you not know that? How do you not know what he pleaded? (sighs) That's messed up, man. I, this is this is really confusing. Daniel Palmer doesn't have an attorney because he is refusing to sign any paperwork, according to Catherine Brubaker in the Jackson County what? Magistrate's Office of the Criminal Court. And West Virginia has their stuff together. Forget what you know. West Virginia has this has this like a has this stereotype about them that they're all country bumpkins that they're backwards that they're 200 years in the past that they're all just uneducated shoeless toothless hillbillies sitting on top of porches playing banjos as strangers walk into their town but i gotta tell you when i read uh, uh paragraphs like that <laughs> look at me as your living proof zach <laughs> First of all, you got a sheriff who doesn't know how his most (laughs) prolific inmate pled to the crime they charged him with. And then they're just like, we don't know what to do with them because he won't sign these papers. We can't put nobody in jail until we get their signature. (laughs) He found a loophole in the system. (laughs) He sound free. He has been uncooperative and refused to submit to booking protocols. Morgan M. Switzer, Deputy General Counsel for the West Virginia Department of Homeland Security Office of the Secretary, told CNN. Good night. What a title. Hey, what do you do for for, uh, a living? Well, I'm the Deputy General, or I'm the Deputy General Counsel for the West Virginia Department of Homeland Security Office for the Secretary. (laughs) Twice removed. Listen, we wanted to put this guy in jail, but he said no. So we had to let him go. So we had to turn him loose. <laughs> Wanda if he'd Palmer, agreed to it, he'd been up on murder charges. 
According to uh, Wanda Palmer is now coherent, but unable to hold full-length conversations, the sheriff's told CNN. According to a criminal complaint, the sister and her brother had a violent history, but Daniel Palmer denied any involvement in the attack and said he hadn't been to his sister's home in the days before the attack. So he believed him. He said he wasn't there. I mean... He wasn't there. Look, he's on jail for trying to kill his sister. He's not on jail for being a liar. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't me, officer. Well, all right. <laughs> Nothing I can do. It's West Virginia. Hands are tied. That's so stupid. <laughs> Investigators got a call in June that Wanda Palmer was able to say some singular words, according to the court document. In July, a deputy interviewed Palmer in her room and said she indicated she recalled being hurt in a trailer. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> I thought it was a house. When asked who wounded her, she said her brother, the complaint says. When asked why Daniel assaulted her, Wanda stated that he was mean. A deputy said in the complaint, which was signed by the magistrate Thursday, but will be sitting in limpo until Daniel signs a piece of paper himself, apparently. He has beat the system, folks. How's that, how's that testimony going to hold up in court? Yeah, well, that's not going to court, Scott. There's no signature. Well, it's true, because he didn't sign the paper. It wasn't until them liberals made it illegal for you to hatchet your sister. If we were back in the good old days of West Virginia, this would have been an open to shut case. We would have let her finish her off. Oh, goodness. West Virginia. It's Here's almost... Wanda, Wanda Palmer was only able to provide yes or no answers, but gave enough testimony for authorities to arrest and charge her brother. Okay. Did you see the picture of him? No, I don't. I'm so I'm so over him. I just, I just don't... I just want to know why... You know what? I've gotten like a speeding ticket in West Virginia. I didn't know that I had the option of just not signing and walk and driving away. <laughs> just, you done screwed up, Zach. All right, let's go back oh, to England. Hey, hey, hang, hang on, hang on. I just sent this to you. Take a look at the picture of him. Oh, did you see that? I have a, I have an immediate update. Daniel Palmer III, oh, really? who was charged in an incident that left his sister Wanda Palmer <laughs> in a coma for two years, died in police custody on Thursday, July 21st. The West Virginia Department of Homeland Security, which oversees the Division of Corrections, confirmed in a news release obtained by ABC News on Friday. Daniel Palmer was pronounced dead one day after being taken to, to a Charleston hospital for an evaluation by jail staff and less than a week after his arrest. Wanda Palmer was only able to provide yes or no answers, but gave enough testimony for authorities to arrest and charge her brother Daniel in relation to her attack. So you read that last wow. paragraph, but you decided to leave out the part where he kills himself? And good golly goober, that guy is, is terrifying. That's the best picture they could find of this dude? Uh, hey, and he was, he, was pretty, uh, he was pretty serious about not signing that paper. Yeah. All right, let's go back over to Europe for some, some silly, silly news. This is by Becky Pemberton from The Sun from July 17th, 2022. The headline reads, Name Shame. I want to change my two-year-old girl's name. It's so embarrassing. 
My partner doesn't agree, but any court judge would. Bestowing uh, the name upon your child for the rest of their life is one of the biggest decisions a parent can ever make. I know that's true. I just wish I didn't name my son after the first thing I saw. That's, my son is going to hate me when he grows up. Lil Catheter is just going to be... <laughs> it couldn't have just been it couldn't have just been catheter it had to be little catheter well his name's just catheter catheter junior oh. but and he's not named after anybody i just thought the junior classed it up a little bit bestowing a name upon your child for the rest of their life is one of the biggest decisions the parents can make it's not outrageous to think that some parents may have second thoughts about their choice. One mom has had second thoughts to the point where she approached her ex-partner about changing their two-year-old daughter's name, but he's not on board. The mom wrote on Mumsnet, quote, I'm coming to deeply regret darling daughter's name, which is sad as it's a pretty name and really suits her. However, I'm 100% certain she's going to be picked on, bullied, and teased for being called this. She says she should have realized when choosing names, but her partner suggested it and she put it down to the oversight of hormones. Quote, there are longer names, which could still be shortened to her name now, but would at least give Darlene Daughter the option not to be called what she is, she continued. You're killing me. And by the way, this darling daughter is, is I'll tell you, as a, a husband of a very pregnant wife, you go on to parenting sites, that's the shorthand. D-D-D-S is darling son. D-P for darling partner. It's stupid. I've mentioned briefly to ex-darling partner my thoughts, and he is firmly on the thought her name isn't to be changed. Honestly, I think if I went to court, and I would consider this, a judge would allow a change for darling daughter's sake. She asked what others would do, but the most common question on people's minds was, What's the name? Duh, lady. You can't do a post like, Hey, I want to change my daughter's name, but not give the daughter's name. What are you, a monster? Okay, here's the name, Scott. You ready? I just saw it. Scott, why are you reading ahead? I cheated. That's the point I of this cheated. show. Just... It's for me to read oh. stories to you and you react. The woman so later impatient. added that the name is Alexa and has already caused confusion with family. Let me say that again, just in case somebody is sitting on their uh, sofa with this loud listening to us. And they happen to have an Amazon connected device. Let me save you. Let me save you. Alexa, 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 play a better podcast. <laughs> it's funny. In case you're sitting with Alexa nearby listening to us, there ain't nobody listening to us. <laughs> you know, that is a pretty name. I like the name Alexa. I know. Why do you think Amazon picked it? Oh. It's a lovely name, and it really does suit her. But recently, I've had comments from kids and adults about it. Even my own bloody dad has bought an Echo Dot and think it's hilarious when he call when he talks to my Alexa and it answers. 
So, where, where, so, where, would you? Where do you stand on this? Would you? Would you nix the name? I wouldn't name my daughter Alexa. Just would like you I wouldn't name Alexis. Would, no, it's too close. That's another reason I wouldn't name my daughter Siri. And I wouldn't name my daughter Google. Just every single, <laughs> you know, AI helper in the world. I'm just not going to name my kid after it. Yeah. Except, except I wish I would have thought of that before my second child was born, and I named him Jeeves. Jeeves. <laughs> now every time I ask him a question, and he's so smart and he knows everything. And Kelsey's like, "Hey, how do you how do you change the oil in the car?" I'm like, "I don't know. Ask Jeeves." You should call your son Jeeves. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That'd be great. <sighs> a friend's primary aged kid asked if that meant he could tell her to sing songs for him like his Alexa does. I just feel like I've set her up for a lifetime of being told to turn the light off or play 80s music or tell a bad joke. She's considering alternative names like Alexia, Alexis, or Alexandra, just to make it a bit different. People on Mumsnet weighed in with their thoughts, and most people agreed the woman shouldn't change her daughter's name, but some offered alternative solutions. One person urged her not to change her daughter's name, adding, She is a little person who knows who she is, unless you have called her Fanny. <laughs> Uh, I'm in agreement. Uh, Leave the name. Alexa is yeah, she's a lovely bullied. name, added another. One said, I know an 11-year-old Alexa. Just call her Lexi. Huh. It's amazing that you could just call your child a shortened name. My, my son's name is Joseph. People call him Jojo. My name is Zachary. People call me Zach. Among other things. My dad's name is Jeffrey. People call him Jeff. Scott's full name is Scottington Squibblebottom. They just call me Bottom. <laughs> Actually, they should call me Squibblebottom. 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 <laughs> A few said they would change the name if they were in the same position, like this commenter. Yeah, I would change it personally. Alexia, Alexis, Alexandra is close enough that she's unlikely to get confused, and she won't remember if you do it ASAP. But one offered a much easier option. Original poster, I call my Amazon gadgets Echo and Computer. I'd be tempted to hack your dad's and set it up to be called a different name. Oh, that's ten minutes you're never gonna get back, dear listener. <laughs> it was fun, though. I say she leaves it. I don't care. That's not as good as the hacking, whacking, and stacking going on in West Virginia. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't care. I just don't care anymore. That's what this show's done. You're right. It takes less time to prepare, <laughs> but I have to read so much news. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so absolutely just beaten down by the state of this world. I, don't, I just I'm worried for you, big guy. Well, you know, if you would take a little bit of the load and send me some some links every once in a while, then you wouldn't have to be. But right. I'm not that worried for you. I'm, 
I love you and all, Zach. Let's not get carried away here. There is one thing that does cheer me up, Scott, in this dark, dark world. And that's the Mormons. <laughs> hey, I met a Mormon just the uh, last weekend. Oh, did he come knocking on your door? No, he uh he Come and knock on my door. We've got false doctrine for you. You can learn about Joseph Smith and his golden plates and 300 wives he had to. Scott, I want to educate you and our listeners with a little bit of of education about a staple of the Mormon church. You know, Orthodox Orthodox Jews have yarmulkes. Uh Uh-huh. Sheiks have turbans. Uh Uh-huh. And Mormons have their temple garment. Okay. A temple garment also referred to as just garments, the garment of holy priesthood, or Mormon underwear, is a type of underwear Uh worn by adherents of the Latter-day Saints movement after they have taken part in an endowment ceremony. Garments are required for any adult who previously participated in the endowment ceremony to enter a temple. I, I don't know if I'd want that job or not to be the underwear mm. checker at the the Mormon temple. Mm. The garments Can't you are just viewed take the person's word. Oh, it gets worse, Scott. This is our Wikipedia page of the week, by the way. The undergarments are viewed as a symbolic reminder of the covenants made in temple ceremonies and are seen as a symbolic and or literal source of protection from the evils of the world. <laughs> I'm trying to hold it together. Okay. I can do this. You're a professional, Zach. The garment is given as a part of the washing and anointing portion of the endowment. Today, the temple garment is worn primarily by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and by members of some Mormon fundamentalist churches. Adherents consider them to be sacred and not suitable for public display. Anti-Mormon activists Anti-Mormon activists have occasionally publicly displayed or defaced temple garments to express their opposition to the LDS church. Temple <laughs> garments Temple garments are sometimes derided as magic underwear by non-Mormons. But Mormons view this terminology to be most misleading and offensive. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> Whenever a Mormon Have gets a- you seen the temple garments? Yeah, they're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. They, they look like something somebody from back in the 17, 1800s would wear. Oh, my goodness. That is brutal. Okay. According to the LDS Church, the temple garments serve a number of purposes. First, 
the garment provides a member a constant reminder of the covenants they made in the temple. Second, the garment, when properly worn, provides protection against temptation and evil. Now, I do see this, Scott. I do see this, because there Mm -hmm. is nothing flattering or good about these things. They're they're terrible looking. It looks like somebody didn't understand human anatomy, but just knew that they had to make extra room for the the man's crotch region (laughs) and the woman's chest region. And it looks so stupid. Oh, it gets worse. Wearing the garment is also an outward expression of an inward commitment to follow Jesus. General Authority Ah. Carlo E. Asai adds, The garment strengthens the wearer to resist temptation, fend off evil influences, and stand firmly for the right. This is true, because if I was wearing those underpants, I would never have taken my clothes off ever. Ever. Not even in front of myself, because I'd be too embarrassed. Shoot. The nature of the protection believed to be afforded by temple garments is ambiguous and varies between adherents. Researchers who interviewed a sample of Latter-day Saints who wear the temple garments reported that virtually all wearers expressed a belief that wearing the garment provided spiritual protection and encouraged them to keep their covenants. Some of those interviewed asserted the garment also provided physical protection, while others seemed less certain of the physical aspect to protection. In Mormon folklore, tales are told of Latter-day Saints who credit their temple garments with helping them survive car wrecks fires, and other natural disasters. In 2015, the LDS Church released an explanatory video online that showed photographs of both temple garments and the outer clothing used in temple worship. The video states that there is nothing magical or mystical about temple garments. Hmm. They're just underwear, guys. They're just really weird, bulky, terrible underwear. Wow. Church President Joseph F. Smith taught that the garment was to be held as the most sacred of all things in the world, next to their own virtue, next to their own purity of life. The man literally said your underpants are the most sacred of all things in the world. Hey, there ain't no doubt in my mind with those things when you're going to remain pure. I don't think you are, Scott, because Mormons are notorious for having very large, huge, giant families. It's true. For this reason, most church members feel uncomfortable discussing the garment in a casual or disrespectful manner. No, that's not why they feel uncomfortable. It's because they're wearing magic underwear. Some church leaders have compared the garment to clerical vestments worn by clergy of other churches. No, church leaders have publicly discussed the above principles and beliefs in general terms since the mid-1840s. Many Latter-day Saints view the garments associated with the temple rites as sacred. The garment as first described in the 1840s was a one-piece undergarment extending to the ankles and wrists, resembling a union suit. So basically long johns, with an open crotch and collar. It was made of unbleached cotton and held together with ties and double knots. Most garments were homemade. The original garment had four marks that were snipped into the cloth as part of the original Nauvoo endowment ceremony. Hey, you remember Nauvoo? No, you weren't there for that episode. That was the the Mormon propaganda me and Luke watched that talked about Nauvoo. Oh, yeah, I didn't. These marks were a reverse L-shaped symbol on the right breast, 
a V-shaped symbol on the left breast, and a horizontal marks at the navel and over the right knee. These cuts were later replaced by embroidered symbols. The marks in the garment are sacred symbols. Thus, the V-shaped symbol on the left breast was referred to as the compasses, while the reverse L-shaped symbol on the right breast was referred to by early church leaders as the square. Yep, they're pretty square. If you wear these, you're pretty square. Just gonna say that. But it's hip to be square, I think I heard somebody saying. <laughs> Is that Huey Lewis? I think so. Or it might have been the news. According to a description by church president John Taylor in 1883, the square represents the justice and fairness of our Heavenly Father, that we will receive all the good that is coming to us, or that we earn, on a square deal. The compasses represent the North Star. In addition to the square and compasses, Taylor described the other symbols as follows. The collar represents the idea of the Lord's yoke, being easy and his burden light, or the crown of priesthood. The double-knotted strings represented the Trinity and the marriage covenant. The navel mark represents strength and the navel and marrow and the bones. And the knee mark represents that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ. In 1926, LDS church apostle David O. McKay offered an updated description that was later incorporated in the church's endowment ceremony. This is what I love about the Mormon church, Scott. Somebody says something, and they're like, yes, that's gospel. Then someone says something better, and they go, yes, no, what we said in the past was wrong, and that's gospel now. (laughs) (laughs) According to McKay's explanation, the mark of the compass represents an undeviated course leading to eternal life. A constant reminder that desires, appetites, and passions are to be kept within the bounds of the Lord. And the bounds the Lord has set. And that all truth may be circumscribed into one great whole. The mark of the square represents exactness and honor in keeping the commandments of the covenant of God. The navel represents the need of constant nourishment to the body and spirit. Unlike Taylor, McKay did not describe the symbolism of the collar or the tie strings because those elements of the garment had been eliminated by 1922. In 1893, the church expressed an official preference for white garments, which has since become the standard. Well, this is where it gets weird, guys. If it hadn't gotten weird yet, oh. this is where it gets weird. For several decades after its introduction in 18 or in the 1840s, the original 19th century union suit style was accepted within Mormon doctrine as being unalterable. In 1906, church president Joseph F. Smith characterized as a grievous sin any attempt in the name of changing fashion trends to modify the 1840s garment pattern, which he described as sacred, unchanged, and unaltered from the very pattern which God gave them. However, while the original pattern of the garment is still used by some Mormon fundamentalists, the LDS Church has updated the original pattern which the fundamentalists denounced. Joseph Smith got up and said, Thou shalt not change our undies. They shall not be any tightier or whitier. They are given to us by design of God's fashionista angel, and they are perfect upon thine body. And then, 20 years later, once Joseph Smith died, someone's like, these things kind of suck. Anybody notice how there's a big hole in our crotch? I'm chased. Sinners! 
Our pants are ru- are made out of wool. It's chafing. We need to have something better. Wow. Oh, guys, guess what? God just told me in a vision that we can change the underpants now. Hooray! <laughs> hip, hip, hooray! <laughs> In 1923, a letter from church president Herbert J. Grant to stake and temple presidents stated that after careful prayer and consideration, the first presidency and quorum of the 12 apostles of the LDS Church had un or had unanimously rather decided that specific modifications would be permitted to the garments. Sleeves could end at the elbow, legs could be shortened to just below the knee, and buttons could be used instead of strings. The collar was eliminated and the open crotch closed. And the church says, Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Other changes were made after 1923, which shortened the sleeves and legs further and eliminated the buttons altogether. As late as 1977, church members were instructed that they can make their own garments with the approval of their local leaders. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you, Scott, being like, I know we don't have elders, but maybe you could bring this up at the next business meeting. I really want to make my own underpants. (laughs) Can you check with the men and make that sure that's okay? I'll be like, I think that's a great idea. You uh, have at it. No further instruction is needed. Have you ever heard of of the great magic underpants melee? That's not what it's called, but it Mm. should be. Mm -mm. Some church opponents have used public occasions like the biannual church conferences to publicly mock and parody the wearing of temple garments. Yeah. When your religious institution dictates the kind of underwear their adherents need to wear. That's just that's just comedy gold. You're just that's so low hanging fruit that I'm gonna grab it and mm, that fruit tastes sweet, Scott. That low hanging fruit, it's mm, delicious. Mm, it's so sweet. It's like it's like a watermelon salad. Some people buy their underwear at Kmart. Some of us died at Walmart. Some have it specially made with with the permission of their elders. During the October 2003 LDS Church General Conference, some anti-Mormon demonstrators outside the LDS Conference Center reportedly spat and stomped on the garments in view of those attending the conference. One tester, one protester blew his nose into a garment he wore around his neck. A scuffle broke out between the protesters and two members of the church who attempted to take the garments from him. To avoid a repeated conflict, the municipality of Salt Lake City planned new protest buffer zones for the April 2004 conference in Salt Lake City. There were Mormons that tried to steal someone else's underpants. And run them up the flagpole. Listen, this here is is a free country. If you want to blow your nose into someone's underpants, preferably (laughs) underpants that's not being worn, Go ahead. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to stop you. Oh my god, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. <laughs> I I try. I try. I'm trying Scott to 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 approach it with love and and hope that they come to their senses, but 
Joseph Smith is such a freak, dude. He's such a freaky little dude. He, Tell he me wanted... this is your, you're not better for have listened to this story today. No, I wish it was. Oh, here's one last, be. here's one last news story to get at least to, to cheer us up a little bit after that. Okay. But, uh, the news story is this Twitter disgusted by New York times piece suggesting that there's a time and place for cannibalism. Yeah, what? And why is that going to cheer us up? It's not, but it's still pretty funny. This was written by <laughs> Gabriel Hayes of Fox News and published on July 23rd, 2022. Twitter users oh. expressed discomfort and confusion on Twitter Saturday after the New York Times published an article claiming that there's a time and a place for cannibalism. Users blasted the piece for seemingly normalizing the grisly practice of eating human flesh. The New York Times published the outlandish piece titled A Taste for Cannibalism in its style section on Saturday, written by Alex Beggs. The, art the article provided insight into cannibalism's growing relevance in pop culture. As Beggs began her piece... Beggs began her piece with a reference to novelist Chelsea G. Summers' story. Her story idea of a character eating her deceased boyfriend's liver served Tuscan style on toast. She then observed, Turns out cannibalism has a time and a place. In the pages of some recent stomach-churning books and on television and films, Miss Summers and others suggest that that time is now. The piece provided a showcase for a set of interesting quotes from the creators of Yellow Jackets, a Showtime series featuring graphic scenes of cannibalism. Co-creator Ashley Lyle explained her inspiration for the show, saying, I think we're often drawn to things that repulse us the most. Her creative partner, Bart Nickerson, added, But I keep coming back to this idea of what portion of our revulsion to the things is fear of the ecstasy of them. Begg's piece also sought to find out what may be fueling the desire for cannibalism stories today. According to Lyle, it's the current strange moment. She mentioned the pandemic, climate change, school shooting, and years of political cacophony as possible factors. Nothing makes me want to eat a man more than the pandemic and climate change, Scott. During the pandemic, yeah. I looked at my wife and I was like, I kind of want to take a bite right out your arm. Lyle explained, I feel like the unthinkable has become the thinkable, and cannibalism is very much squarely in the category of unthinkable. In response to the head-turning article, conservative commentator Ian Miles Chong tweeted, Stop normalizing cannibalism. <laughs> it's not normal. <laughs> Who said that, Miles Finch? Yep, Miles Finch. No, Ian Miles Chong. <laughs> Rioche, whatever that is, editor-in-chief John Gabriel tweeted about the pagan undertones he perceived in the Times piece, commenting, post-Christian culture seems a lot like pre-Christian culture. Um, what? The New York Times has become a monumental joke, tweeted conservative author Ned Ryan. Liberal writer Adam Best quipped, you know society has gotten bad when the New York Times is like, we now recommend that you start eating each other. Scientist David Schiffman lamented that this wasn't the type of progress he envisioned for humanity, tweeting, I was promised flying cars. <laughs> Conservative commentator David Riaboy tweeted sarcastically, Oh good, we're here now. 
Um, I disagree with the premise that cannibalism is just now fascinating people. I mean, we've all heard of the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. We've all heard of the Andes flight that went down. Or not the Andes, what was it? In South America, that plane that, that crashed and... Yeah, <clears throat> I don't remember, but... One of the best movies of all times is Silence of the Lambs. I'm just saying, cannibalism has been a story structure for years, centuries years, even. Hundreds of years. I mean, one of the most disgusting stories even in the Bible is about two moms arguing about eating each other's kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, cannibalism is nothing new. This is just this is just sensationalist try to get a rise out of people. Listen, if you want to eat somebody, do it consensually. (laughs) 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 Oh, my. I've got other news stories about Bin Laden and people being rude and Ben Affleck just taking a nap on a boat. But I think for now, we'll save those for next week, Nate. Okay. I don't think we're going to get any. any I think I think we've got enough good content. <laughs> Do it consensually. I'm an idiot. I know. It's so funny. Whoo. <laughs> uh, Hey, listen. Mm. Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. And we know, I know for a fact, that this show did not make your day any better. But thanks <laughs> to the little book, nice. Bad Days in History, a gleefully grim chronicle of misfortune and mayhem and misery for every day of the year by Michael Farquhar, it could have been worse. Uh, good old Michael. For example, on July 28, 1835, even assassins sometimes have bad days. Take poor Gallo Gianli, a wonderfully gifted lute player, with an inveterate hatred of Qin Shi Huang, the first Chinese emperor who ruled in the 3rd century BC and hoped to live forever. After a failed assassination attempt on the emperor by his associates, Giao Jian Li spent years in hiding, struggling as an indentured workman and honing his skills on the loot. Word of his talent eventually reached the emperor, who invited Jian Li to play for him. But when he appeared at court, he was instantly recognized as one of the men who had earlier plotted against the emperor's life. Nevertheless, King Shi Huang was enchanted by the sounds Jian Li produced and could not bring himself to dispatch the source of such beauty. So he blinded the musician to render him harmless. Then, over time... It's <laughs> horrible. Then, over time, the emperor allowed Jian Li to become closer and closer to his person, never failing to praise his skill. The killer, Ludist, was biding his time, however, and having gained the emperor's complete trust, he packed his instrument with lead and took a swing with it at Ken Shi Huang's head. Being blind, though, he missed and was some alert. 
<laughs> and was and was summarily executed on the spot. Another unfortunate assassin was Giuseppe Marco Fici, a Corsian crook and forger who thought he had created the perfect weapon to kill King Louis Philippe of France. To ensure maximum effect, Fici's bound 20 guns together. And as the so- sovereign and his three sons passed along Paris's Boulevard du Temple on July 28th, 1835, he fired the deadly device from an upper story window. One bullet among the barrage <laughs> killed the king's horse. Another grazed his forehead. But Louis, Philippe, and his sons emerged relatively unscathed. Others were not so fortunate. Eighteen people were killed, with many others injured, including, most grievously, Fiji himself. Apparently, one of his combined guns had backfired. No worries, though. French physicians was able to restore the failed assassin to health, just in time to have his head sliced off by the guillotine. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that. It's not good. Anyway. Good night, everybody! <laughs> that was Rotten Righteous News with your anchors, Scott Judge and Zach Geiler. Tune in next week for more, maybe. I don't know. <laughs>